Hey everyone, welcome to episode 22 of the Orange Shoe Podcast. I'm really excited to be introducing you guys to Jamie Cochran today. Jamie is the COO of Echelon Front. Echelon Front is a leadership consulting company that was founded by 20-year Navy SEAL veteran Jocko Willink. Jocko um, is known for writing the book Extreme Ownership. And in this book, Jocko um, teaches you and explains to you the principles in which he learned through his 20-year military career. All these principles can then be taken and applied to everyday life to help you become a better leader, not only on the job front, but also on the home front. Um, Echelon Front is doing a lot of really cool things to help build leadership. They also do these things called musters, which are leadership conferences that they do two to three a year. Um, from the outside looking in, for most people, they look a little intimidating, right? They're uh, led by these Navy, Navy SEALs, but you know, talking to Jamie, she really lets you know that these are for anybody and everyone. You don't have to have a military background to go to these musters or to read Extreme Ownership to take something out of this. So talking to Jamie today is a, is a perfect example of somebody who wasn't in the military, didn't serve, read the book Extreme Ownership, started to apply these principles into her everyday life with not only her own career, but with her, with her children, and has seen these work and pay off. And so she's a perfect example of how, how anyone can read this book, can go to these leadership conferences, these musters, and to really leave feeling like you have new tools in the toolbox to become a better leader on all fronts. So I'm really excited for you guys to um, listen to this episode and get to know more about Jamie and, and how she manages you know, being a mom, how she manages being a military wife, how she manages being the COO of a company and making sure that she leads from the front, but also is present at all times, no matter what role she's currently in. So being present as mom when it's time to be mom, being present as wife when it's time to be wife, and then also being present when it's time to be COO of this amazing company. So I think you guys are going to take a lot from this. I learned a lot and I'm excited for you guys to, um, um, to listen. So without further ado, I introduce you to Jamie Cochran. Hey, Jamie, welcome uh, to the Orange Shoe Podcast. So excited to uh, get to know more about you and also kind of for you to pass on some of your kind of leadership knowledge that you've learned um, kind of over your, your entire life, right? And all the different hats you wear. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, Tom, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. And I know, I think you got connected with um, our franchise owner, Scott, right? Were you at, um, did he run into you at the gym? Is that how he connected with you? Or was it at like the Mind Body Summit? How did Scott um, kind of initiate, like, how did you guys kind of connect? Yeah, so I, you know, we we do a lot of work with various companies and organizations, and we actually had somebody go out and do a training with them. So I think it, it was on the back end. I actually don't think we've met in person, oh, okay. um, unless it's at a muster. But we've done some, obviously, a lot of work, kind of leading into a training that we provided for a conference he he attended. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know Scott. He's been um, he's been on this huge Jocko kick. Like, <laughs> and it's always funny too. Like, you know, being military myself and everything. Like, there's a lot of people that either you don't know Jocko, like for me being in the military, you obviously hear a lot about his name. And, and then um, you get a lot of people that are weren't in the military, never served, but then they're like sometimes the ones that really attach themselves 
to some of these personalities. And Scott kind of uh, read Jocko's book and Lee's book, and he just like really dove into it. And next thing you know, he's like, hey, Tom, you know this Jocko? And I'm like, yeah, I know Jocko. Like, and he's just like dove all into it. And he's like thinking about using the musters as like a way for kind of a continued education, like sending some of the owners of some of the Orange Shoe locations kind of as an incentive trip to kind of go and learn from these musters. And so I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm down. Like any way I could like, you know, dive back into that kind of military family again, since I've been out, it's always welcome to me. So I'm excited for that, but we'll go ahead and start here, Jamie, um, kind of give me a quick little background on kind of like where you grew up, kind of what you went to school for, and then a little bit about your family. Yeah, I grew up in Seattle, Washington. Um, I have one brother, he's 10 years older than me. Um, I had, you know, a really awesome childhood. My parents were such a great example to me of hard work. And, you know, you want to talk about work ethic. They were the epitome of what it means to like work hard, solve problems, get things done. But they also prioritized me and my brother a lot growing up. So I was really lucky to grow up in that atmosphere. Um, and, and despite that, I still had this really strong sense at 18 that I I needed to get out of my hometown. I don't know what that's from. Maybe it's just a sense of like, I wanted to experience the world on my own. But uh, at 18, I moved to Los Angeles. I went to school. Uh, I got my degree in marketing and communications. Uh, and then, you know, graduated college and sort of, you know, was figuring out what it is that I wanted to do. And I tried a bunch of different jobs from being a flight attendant to working at a hedge fund. And I landed ended up in, in higher education at San Diego State University as a programs director uh, and loved working with students, loved the campus environment. There's a lot of red tape on campus, so it's not an easy job, but it was such a cool place to be a part of and to get to advise and be inspired by the students that I was working with. And that really cultivated my love too for organizing and, and executing events and sort of the, the larger event planning aspect, as well as advising and teaching and instructing. So that kind of set the, the, the stage there um, and loved it there. Um, my husband, uh, I, you know, we've talked a little bit about this. I got married um, shortly after college, about a year after I graduated college. And three days after we got married, my husband started BUDS. So the first six years of our marriage was buds training, my husband becoming a SEAL, deployments, you know, a chaotic world of, uh, of those first six years, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. So that was kind of, you know, what, what happened after college. And um, it was an awesome journey to be a part of. And things sort of moved on from there as we kind of, you know, picked up our family and started some new career paths after that. Yeah, absolutely. And how how do you think your, your parents, like you said, being those really like the work ethic and just being those role models, how has that affected you as a mother now? And like, and does that kind of, are you, are you wanting to pass along that same kind of drive to them as well? Yeah, for sure. There were two things that I remember growing up that are really, really clear to me. So first of all, my parents, you know, from the work ethic standpoint, my dad at his last job, he's retired now, but he went 30 years without even a single late or a sick day. I mean, talk about someone who is committed to showing up and doing the job and, and, and doing what he's being asked to do. Um, so work ethic was a really big part of my family. My, my parents had this theory that like, hey, you're either going to do a sport or you're going to get a job, but you're not going to come home and just have all this free time and just kind of, you know, hang out. And so they really were encouraging of me to try as many things as I wanted to do. I was a really busy kid. So heaven bless my parents for putting up with like all the different activities that I was a part of, but they really pushed me to, Hey, if you're going to commit to something, you're going to, you're going to do it to the best of your ability. So I loved growing up in that atmosphere and to not only have parents that were teaching me that, but exhibiting that in the way that they manage their own careers and their own, uh, you know, lives. And the other other, the other thing that I remember growing up that I've really 
tried to do the best with my kids as well is that I, as I mentioned, I was a busy kid. I had a lot of activities, activities that I was a part of, and I can't remember a single instance in which I didn't have someone in the stands there to support me, either both of my parents or one of them, if the other one was working. And on the rare occasion, one of them couldn't be there. They'd send my brother in place because it really mattered to them that I knew that I was supported, that I was valued, that I was loved. And so I always had someone in the stands. And I think that that was really critical to me growing up and, and knowing that. And so I really wanted to exhibit the same thing to my kids and make sure that they saw me in the stands and that I was there and present in their lives. So that's been something I've taken on as I've had my own kids as well. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. There's so many great things you said there with, you know, I think one of the big things is like, you know, I said, your dad being 30 years at one job. And just like, if you're going to, if you're going to do something, you're going to commit to commit to something, see it through. And I think there are so many people that like job, like job bounce so fast without ever really committing themselves to any specific thing, because as soon as one little thing goes wrong, or it doesn't turn out the way they wanted it to be, like what they saw in their mind, they just kind of run for the hills instead of trying to make it work and sticking it out and, and, and pretty much you know, staying good to what they're, what they said of like, I want to do this job. And, and also too, like, I know what your parents talk about, you know, always showing someone showing up to the events and whatnot. And was your family big into like having family dinners? Like Oh yeah. Yeah. We ate dinner, you know, pretty much every night, even despite the fact that I was busy, my, my, my brother, uh, was busy. We're 10 years apart. So there was a little bit of a gap in sort of the activities. Um, however, it was really critical to my parents. Didn't matter what we were doing, you know, six 30, we would sit down and have a meal together. Um, and I, we always joked that when my mom would go out of town, my mom traveled a little bit for work. We would, my dad would, you know, be home and he'd be the one making dinner every night. And so we'd get seven days worth of meals made with hamburger. So it was hamburger helper, spaghetti, sloppy joes, like hamburgers, whatever it was. It was like, we got seven days worth of ground beef meals because that was what my dad knew how to cook. But, um, but he did that, you know, like even when my mom was out of town, we sat down at the dinner table together. My dad made a meal and we would sit and eat together. So, um, that was very important to us growing up as well. Yeah. And there's, I know there's some statistics out there that talk about, you know, families that do do these like family dinners and how that really kind of helps the kids in their development and just kind of growing up and whatnot. And I don't know the exact stats, but I know that's just like an important thing. And my family was the same way. We never, you know, I don't think my parents ever did it out of, um, you know, statistic stuff like, oh yeah, we know it's important to have family meals. They just did it because it was just something important to, to my dad for us to all get together and sit down and, and have a meal together. And, and it's kind of amazing. Now you got to start to see these parallels of people that, you know, and the families that do this and just how much it really does benefit the children to know that, you know, they're cared for and they're thought about and to have that, that, you know, dedicated family time. So, um, so doing some Facebook stalking and stuff um, <laughs> on you and Instagram stalking, which, you know, you gotta love social media. Now you can like learn anything about anybody in, in a matter of an hour. Um, I noticed that you also went to school for like singing, right? You were kind of like in the music. Tell me a little bit about that kind of, and do you still kind of dabble in that or do you miss it? Yeah, great question. So I grew up singing. I actually, in fifth grade, I auditioned for a play, a musical. I'd never done anything like that before. I'd never sung on stage, but I grew up and, you know, I, I was kind of an only child, but I, I idolized my brother. We were really close. We still are, but he was so much older than me. We didn't necessarily have the same sibling, you know, upbringing that a lot of people have with their other siblings. And so I was a little bit of an only child. So I would, you know, record myself and be on a talk show and I would like make believe 
believe that I'm on a talk show and introducing somebody. And then I'd, I'd be the guest as well and come on with like these interesting accents. So I always had this flair for acting and music and singing, but I'd never done anything like that. And in fifth grade, I, I tried out for a play and I landed the lead role in this musical. So it was the first opportunity I had to perform on stage and I was totally hooked. I loved it, I loved music. And so all throughout my um, childhood and in through high school, I you know, performed in choirs, I took vocal lessons, I wrote songs, I performed in the studio. Um, I actually had this really fun goal when I was younger and, and I, I, got, I got pretty far in my life doing this, but I had this dream of, of, of singing the national anthem at every major sporting event in the cities that I live. So, um, I, you know, I sang at the Mariners game in Seattle wow. uh, when I was 16, um, the Lakers, the Clippers. I've, I've had some really fun experiences in the cities I've lived performing the national anthem. So it was always something I loved. And when I was getting ready to move to college and go to school, it was my choir teacher who really suggested this school that was kind of known for music. And I auditioned and I was able to get a scholarship to go and get a music degree. And I had plans on getting a music degree in vocal performance and music theory. Uh, and I spent the first year at the school training in this in music in this major before I realized that I could sing and perform and do everything I loved about music without a degree. And really the degree was going to set me up to sort of either go into in composition or teaching. And that wasn't something that I was passionate about. So I, I transitioned after my first year into the marketing communications degree, which was much more suited for me. Um, and then as far as music, you know, I've still, I performed in, in college. I had a couple bands that I got to be a part of and go uh, do shows. Uh, and then obviously as I got married and had kids, my priorities have changed. So uh, we sing a lot here at my house. We do, you know, family karaoke. My husband plays the guitar. Um, and on rare occasions, I get opportunities to perform when it, uh, when those things come up. It's certainly something that I miss, but um, I had a really awesome run at, at, you know, both writing music, performing music, demoing music. Um, and it was, I, I cherish those moments, but certainly miss it to some extent, but also happy that, you know, my life has changed a little bit and that's not as much of a priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, that was really smart for you to realize that, you know, being in that year of school to realize that like, if you stuck this through is going to kind of pigeonhole you you know, it was going to kind of pigeonhole you to doing a certain thing. And especially when you knew that kind of wasn't your passion, like, yeah, music was your passion, but like teaching and stuff wasn't. And to be able to like, just always know that no matter where you're at in your life, you could always pivot and shift, right? You could always change direction and be like, you know what? And just like surprise everybody, everybody in your family with like something brand new, right? Just like shock the world. Like you could always shift what you're doing. It's never too late. And um, I think that was just like really, really, you know, smart for you to kind of have that, that site to be like, you know, this is not where I want to go and I'm going to kind of pivot. So now, you know, after college, what um, we're going to kind of get into kind of what you're currently doing now. I know there's been things in between and there was kind of like a lead up to kind of how you got a part of Echelon Front. Um, but kind of what is your current position at Echelon Front and, you know, what does your day to day look like? Yeah, so in in May, uh, uh, Definitely as a surprise, um, Jocko announced my title change to chief operating officer. I was incredibly humbled and honored um, for this new opportunity. So it's been it's been an incredible journey here at Echelon Front, um, but I just transitioned to the COO position and really focusing on more of our long-term strategic initiatives, doing my best to really get more involved in the strategy and the overall operations uh, uh, 
for what we do here at Echelon Front and really getting rid of some of those other components that I used to do from, you know, client development, client relations, scopes of work, contracting, and allowing my team to take on more responsibility and step up into those ways. So it's been a really fun transition for me. There's challenges to that too, because I'm a hands-on person. I love to get in there and do the work and solve the problems. And so I'm having to practice a lot of what we preach and really implement this idea of decentralized command and empowering my subordinate leaders and the people on my team to step up and, and support the overall mission of what we're doing here at Echelon Front. So I, I love what I'm doing. My day-to-day -day is a little mix of both some tactical things as, as I help to get my team onboarded in taking over these responsibilities, but really looking more towards strategic initiatives. How can we better provide services to our clients? How can we drive more impact with our clients? Um, and then the fun part is that I've transitioned into a little bit more of an instructing role. So actually going on site with clients, helping to deliver on the training and the instructing. And that piece has been really fun. Definitely outside of my comfort zone, but a really fun exercise of growth for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually heard that like recently you actually were at one of the musters and you actually led, right? You talked like you gave an instruction piece. And was that your first time actually like being on stage and at a muster and kind of leading that way? Yeah, the first time I actually spoke at a muster was in 2019, right before the pandemic started. We, our team had a, the incredible opportunity to do a muster in Australia. So we did our first international muster in Sydney and I spoke at that event. Um, and I remember it, I was so nervous, like beyond nervous. I performed on big stages with a lot of people before and nothing was more nerve wracking than going up on stage. And it wasn't the crowd and the people there. It was the fact that Jocko and Leif and Dave and JP and these people on my team that I really care about and matter to me were, were basically, you know, stage right. I could see them sitting there. So there was, there was a heightened level of nerves, uh, but I was really excited for the opportunity. But that was the first time I spoke at a muster. Um, and then during the pandemic, we transitioned to an online training platform, a, a virtual training platform at Echelon Front, which has given me and everyone on our team opportunities every week to engage with clients and to run these virtual sessions. So I got a lot of reps in the last year and a half and getting more comfortable in how to teach these principles effectively. And that transitioned into a component of what we teach that, that I started to recognize. So I got to build really my own brief, not really teaching what Leif and Jocko created, but teaching a different component. We call it the barriers of extreme ownership. And so the last two musters this past year, I've had the opportunity to, to do that brief and to share a little bit about my story, talk about these barriers, and then more importantly, how to overcome the barriers. So it's been an awesome journey for me to uh, get on stage and, and still incredibly humble, humble to share the stage with, you know, my seasoned, um, you know, in my, my, my colleagues, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's been, it's been really fun to do that. That's great. And uh, like one of my goals is I would love to attend a muster and I would love to hear you speak. It'd be really cool to hear your presentation and everyone's presentation. And, you know, looking at, you know, you go to the Echelon Front website and you go to the team and you see all the people that are a part of this amazing team. And man, you're not going to find more leadership in a, in a team than right there. I mean, you look at those guys' resumes of like who they were, what they did in the military, things like that. And you're not going to find a better better group of people to like lead you. And it's just like super exciting. It's just like super cool to see. And with that, you know, being the COO, you also wear a couple of different hats and we're going to kind of pivot to here a little bit is you're a, you're a mom, you're a wife for a while. You were there, you're a military wife there for a while, right. With your husband deploying and, you know, obviously going to schooling and buds and all that stuff. And, and then also now COO of Echelon Front, how do you manage to be present for each one of these roles, right? And so we have a lot of clients at Orange Shoe that 
kind of fit each one of those as well. They're, you know, they're wives, they're moms, but they're also, you know, working professionals. And, you know, sometimes life can get a little crazy when you're kind of juggling all three of those and you don't, you know, kind of think about as all three of them as glass balls and you don't want to drop either one of them because you don't want to ruin any one of them. But so how do you, how have you figured out how to juggle and be present and be like the best version of yourself at each one of those roles? I think for me, the best, the best thing that I've found is, is how I manage my time. So we talk a lot about, you know, this idea of prioritize and execute. And it's the idea that you have to, at all points, be looking at what's the one thing that's going to have the biggest impact on the overall goal and the overall mission. So first and foremost, my husband and I are aligned on what it is that we want for our family. I am fully aligned to the mission at Echelon Front. So it's easy for me to look at my life and to say, okay, my priorities are my family and Echelon Front. And really everything else outside of that, whether it's friendships or traveling or all those things, those can get put to the wayside because for me, my day-to-day is I need to take care of my family and I need to make sure that I'm, I'm completing what I need to do for Echelon Front. And so sometimes that means I get up earlier to do work when my kids are sleeping or I stay up later to do work when my kids are sleeping so that I can be present in the hours that they're awake and I can be there, as we mentioned earlier, that face in the stand and be there supporting them in their activities. I also simplify as much as I can. So, um, you know, I, I actually started a couple, uh, maybe a year ago, ordering Instacart, you know, because getting to the grocery store was taking time out of my family. And so I could just order Instacart and have it come here to, to my door and, and help me still provide for my family from a grocery and food standpoint, but also not have to take the time to go and do those things. So I try as often as I can to simplify what I'm doing. Now, my kids go to school all day, so I can really, you know, concentrate my work during the times that they're gone. But I really, you know, I'm looking at five o'clock, six o'clock being done with the day so I can go and be present with them, helping with homework, getting to sporting events, just being there with them. My husband travels for work. So that provides a little bit of a unique, um, cadence for us. However, I'm used to it. So I think this is our normal. And in some ways it allows me just to prioritize the kids and work Monday through Friday. And then he comes home Friday and Friday evenings and Saturday, we hang out as a family. We really do spend the vast majority of our time together um, doing fun things and going and having experiences and being there to support each other. So it's a constant struggle. And there are definitely times where I have to prioritize something that's going on at work. The the great thing is is that I work here from home. My kids are very aware of what we do. They're very aware of the the impact that we're having with clients. We talk a lot about these principles with my kids. And so there is a a shared uh, alignment on the mission. So sometimes it's okay for me to say, hey guys, I've got this really big project I have to work on. So I'm going to be working this evening and here's things you guys can do in the meantime, but it's rare that I have to do that. I can, I can better prioritize my time, get up earlier, get some things done before they're awake, you know, look for those opportunities to really work on the things I need to and make sure that during the day when I do have those times to get work done, that I am laser focused on getting those things done and not wasting time during the day uh, that I don't have so that I can be present in the evenings with them as their you know mother and being there with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Like we always talk about to a lot of our clients, it's just like outsourcing. Like you said, you use an Instacart outsourcing the things that 
take away from you doing the stuff that you actually really care about, like being with your family or being present at your job or whatever. Um, I think that's huge is outsourcing. And I know for a lot of people like meal prepping and outsourcing your meal prep and your food, right? It's like, uh, if you don't want to cook, well, then there's a lot of meal delivery services out there that take the cooking out of it too. And it's just going to free up your time. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, it costs a little bit more money per meal if I do this. And, but I'm like, your money equals your time, you know, and sometimes spending a little extra on the food to have it prepped for you and sent to you is actually worth it for your time to actually now make it to your kid's soccer game instead of missing it because you want to cook dinner. So it's just finding those things that are important with you that align with you and just outsourcing the rest and being okay with it. And then realizing how much time it's going to free up for you is, is amazing. Yeah. And I'll say one more thing. The other component of this is this principle that we talk about at Echelon Front of decentralized command. I practice that all the time with my kids. They are capable. They're able to help and support in things that we can do for our family. My oldest can make dinner. They can make their own lunches. I do that oftentimes for them, but there are days where I say, hey, I've got to go prep for something. So I need you to take action for getting lunches done today. They can do laundry. They can put their clothes away. They can help with the dishes. You know, I try my best to ensure that they're involved in those components. And that idea of decentralized command, whether it's meal prep and having someone else can, you know, manage that part of it or grocery shopping or your kids just being more involved in the day to day. I try my best to ensure that everyone's contributing to the overall mission. So that it's not the one burden that I have to mm-hmm. carry on my own back. Yeah, that's cool, cool that you said that because that's a lot of things. Like a lot of times people don't ask for help because they feel like they're burdening somebody else. Like I don't want to ask them for help because now I'm burdening them with more they have to do. And we kind of like play this juggling act of like, well, I'll just put it on my plate. So I don't feel like there's a lot on their plate. But I think a lot of people are way more capable than we think they are, especially kids. And they're willing to like, they actually look up to that. Like when mom asks for help, like, oh yeah, mom, I got that. Let's do that. Right. And empowering your children to be helpful in all those situations. And it's going to take a lot of stress off. And I see that a lot too, in like families where we kind of fall into these gender roles where like the husband does the yard work and this stuff. And then the wife does all the cooking, the grocery shop and all the stuff that she actually hates. And then it's like, no, how about we like work as a team? And, you know, no one's above mowing the lawn. No one's above grocery shopping. No one's above prepping dinner at noon when, you know, everyone else is busy. Like if we all look at it as like one team, one fight, we're going to accomplish so much more and then never feel like it's a burden to anybody. And so I think that's huge. It's like utilizing your kids and, 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 and empowering them to learn and, and do some of the stuff around the house is, is great. And we kind of talk about that, like that work-life balance. And I think everybody that's like that kind of like, um, it's really popular right now, that phrase work-life balance, work-life balance. And I always say there's really there, it's never balanced. Like I'm putting my hands up right now, but like, you know, like a scale and sometimes, yeah, it is balanced and your work and your life are just lining up perfectly. But sometimes it tips to where like you're focusing a little bit more on life and not so much on work because of some you know, reason. But then sometimes it really tips over to work where you're really busy at work and your family's missing out a little bit. But as long as that scale is kind of always coming back to equilibrium, that's the important thing, or you're striving to get it back there, life isn't always going to be this perfect work-life balance. And, and understanding that, I think it really is helpful because I think some people get really stressed out when they feel like it's tipping one way or the other. And they just don't feel comfortable, but understanding that like, no, I'm good. Like this week is going to be a crazy work week, but you know what? Next week I'm right back in line with my family and understanding that it's just never going to be, you know, perfectly balanced. I think the critical part in that is how you communicate it. I have had conversations and we underestimate children's ability to understand those things, but I have had very clear conversations with my kids of, Hey, 
I have this really big priority and here's why it's really important that I focus on my work right now. And you explain that and you get them to support and help in that. And they feel like they're contributing to the mission. So what I really need from you in this is to help with A, B, and C. I communicate regularly with my kids. And I think the other idea is this idea of ownership, which we talk about all the time. You have to take ownership for how you're managing your time. So if you're out of balance, you have to take ownership for that and look for how you can shift that, communicate that effectively, look for what you can do, what you can offload. Can you do something at a different time? Can you get up earlier to get something done if it's really weighing on you? You have control in how those things get back to balance. And I agree with you. I don't think that there's ever a very clear set, like perfect balance. There's always this flux in, in how we're managing that. And for us, a lot of times, that's how we utilize the weekend to reset that. So if we're both busy, my husband and is, as I mentioned, travels for work. So that work-life balance is a struggle for him during the week because he's not here. And so the weekends, we prioritize our time as a family and we go and we make memories and we do fun things and we're, we're, we're just on the go. And so we reprioritize that the family is important and our kids feel that and they feel that flux. And they also understand that that's how life is. You're not always going to be balanced and I'm not always going to be right there when you need me, that you need to be able to solve problems too. So I think that there's value in helping your kids be a part of the solutions and understand when you've got to manage some things on the work side. So we, we try our best to talk a lot with our kids and help them see that from, from our perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when it comes to being, you know, mom, wife, COO, and so you got a lot on your plate and every day looks a little bit different. What are those tried and true routines that you have like built in that like, there are like, you know, this is what I do every morning. This is how I start my day. This is how I prioritize this. Like, what are those routines that you have found that have really worked for you that set you up for success every day? Yeah. So every, usually at the end of my day, before I log off, which, you know, the nature of our work, I'm always on, I'm always available. My team calls me at eight o'clock. A lot of my people are on the West coast. So, you know, anyone can call me at any time and I'm going to, I'm going to stop if I can and help and support. But if I'm going to log off for the day, I have a post-it note that I write down my next day, the top three things that I need to accomplish. Most of the time they're work-related every once in a while. It's that one personal thing that's nagging. Like my, my kidneys, a dentist appointment, and I didn't get it done that day, but I put that, I put down those top three things. Sometimes they're strategic things that are going to take several hours for me to like move the needle on. Sometimes they're just that quick tactical thing. I need to send a scope of work that I just hadn't gotten to the day before. And I put that post-it right on my computer. So the second I sit down the next morning, it's there as a reminder for, hey, these are the things you need to focus on right away. I also recently started implementing, um, and I forget the CEO who started it, but he calls it the Yester box. And what I realized is that my focus right now needs to be, as I mentioned earlier, on some of these strategic initiatives. But my challenge is getting to a space where I can focus on that because my inbox is constantly, you know, those incoming emails are consistent. And it's easy to get pulled away to say, oh, I'm going to I'll do this really quick. And then you do it really quick. And so I started implementing this thing called the Yester box where every morning I dedicate my first hour and a half of my day is to go through my emails from the day before and to respond to every email I got from the day before or to at least initiate the next step in those emails and to get those cleared out. And then I stop looking at my emails for the rest of the day. If my team needs something, they know that they should call or text me or send me an email that says urgent, but it gives me the breath for the rest of the day to really focus on some other components or other strategic initiatives or take calls with clients. And in the rare occasion, I get through that and I've got time, I'll go back to my inbox and see what I can get cleaned up. But it allows me to sort of clear out the day before. And it's that, it's that like, it's, just, it's like checking the box on a to-do list. 
I finished yesterday's emails and it's like, cool, I'm done. Now I can refocus on these other things that I need to be focused on. So I, that those are two things I've used recently. And it's been, it's been helping me significantly and sort of ensuring that I'm spending the time on the things I need to, and not getting sucked into the weeds and into the tactical tasks that oftentimes end up taking up so much of your day and leave you with no time to really think through the other bigger um, strategic initiatives and things that mm -hmm. I should be working on. Yeah, I love that because um, the email is is one thing I hear from a lot of our clients and their jobs is their email is just a thing that eats up their time, right? They're like, you know, my job hired me to do X, Y, and Z, but I spend more time just answering emails from, you know, 500 people a day and I feel like I get nothing done. And I think that's such a, you know, the email because you, you get that ding or you get that little red dot or whatever that pops up, it, it now becomes your next new urgent thing. For whatever reason, you could be like, in the middle of something, but now that ding, it completely takes your attention away. And now whatever that email is, is now your next urgent thing. It could be like, you know, 30% off Uggs, some junk email. And you're like, sweet, I need some Uggs. Like I'm going to go 30% off, use this coupon code right now. It becomes your next urgent thing. And I think it, it, that's so important to just, I know. And I think, uh, I think maybe it was Tim Ferriss, you know, maybe he said this before, but it's just like, yeah, prioritizing your day into where like, um, yeah, it's just that chunk. You do emails in the morning and then you just close the email box. And then the people that are important to you know that you're not checking email. And if they need to get a hold of you text or whatever to say, Hey, I just sent over the super urgent email. I need you to look at it. All right. Thanks. You know, and it gives you that heads up. So I think that's a really good takeaway and, and understanding that, you know, <laughs> no, like everything's fine. And that email that came through isn't that probably doesn't mean that like your company's about to completely go under or somebody's dying. That email is probably something that it can wait till tomorrow morning to read or whatever. So it's kind of like making sure that we just kind of take a breath and know that everything is all good. So, well, and good. if you want to know the real value is that as I started doing this, I would, I would, you know, finish out my, my inbox for, from the day before, which most people are anticipating a, a, an email within 24 hours. It's a reasonable amount of time to get an email the next day. If you've emailed somebody that afternoon. So, you know, the timeline is good because I can get people back to people in a reasonable amount of time, but the benefit is by the time I get back to my computer the next morning, there was a bunch of those emails that other people on my team have already helped with mm. that I would have, you know, I'm on the East coast. So I'm up earlier um, compared to them on the West coast. So I get in there and I'm sending, you know, services guys, I'm sending information. I'm just a client has a quick question and then I answer it really quick. And by me not doing that and, and just focusing on the emails from the day before I actually sit down in that morning and realize, Oh, Lynn responded. Sherry sent that over. Oh, Jen already took care of this. And it's actually allowing my team to step in and take ownership and get these things done. And I'm not stepping on their toes and they're doing more. So there's a, a huge benefit. And like, if you just wait till the next day, it's likely somebody on your team may have already taken care of it, which is the best case scenario. Yeah, that's a great point because I think sometimes people, they'll send an email before they actually try to critically think about the problem to try to figure <laughs> it out. They're like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'll email Jamie, da, da, da. They send the email and then all of a sudden they're expecting you to email back in like two hours because they, you know, everyone's impatient. And then they're going to like, and next thing you know, between those two hours, they actually kind of thought about it and they're like, oh. I already figured it out. And so then you email the next day and they're like, oh yeah, don't worry about Jamie. Already got it figured out. Yes. Right. You just like, you let that issue solve itself. And that's a, that's a very, very great point um, that most people will figure it out by then. So because we're a gym business, orange shoe, right? That's what we do. We do fitness. What does fitness look like for Jamie? 
Yeah, I like it all. <laughs> um, so I actually started doing CrossFit uh, a long time ago before CrossFit was really a trend and a fad. A lot of the uh, team guys, you know, when I was early, young in our marriage, there wasn't gyms for CrossFit. It wasn't really like a thing, um, but my husband would do it. And so I kind of got into training CrossFit style kind of workshop workouts with him. And I love that. I love the, you know, variety and what you get in a CrossFit um, atmosphere. For me, it's a lot about convenience. Um, and also for me, it's about having some sort of goal. So I actually hate running, but yet I keep finding myself signed up for marathons or half marathons or tough motors or these races. And it's been awesome because it like puts something on the calendar that I have to be prepared for. Um, and so I, you know, I end up running a lot. I do a lot of CrossFit type style workouts. We have a really amazing gym here. My husband is very athletic and, you know, he works out every single day. Um, and then I, I was lucky that I found that next to the jiu-jitsu gym my kids train at there was a crossfit gym so there was some value in dropping my kids at, at the jiu-jitsu gym and i could go get a workout in in the same hour so i could kind of kill two birds at once and it was it's awesome so i really enjoyed uh i i love going to a gym with other people i find a lot of value in training with other people so for me although we have all the equipment here in the house i would rather get up and drive and go to the gym. Cause it's just awesome to be with that community of people. Um, I also feel like I push myself harder than I would otherwise. And then, um, really what I've loved is getting the people around me, people that I care about. My dad, I, I've talked a little bit about uh, my dad, but I, you know, my dad hadn't run, a, hadn't run a mile in 25 years. And I somehow convinced him to run a tough martyr with me six years ago. And so he showed up in jeans. We went for our first mile run. It was like, it, it was, painful. Like he thought he was going to die. He's like, my heart is burning. Um, and we ended up training together and I found so much value because I wasn't thinking about myself. I was only thinking about him and like, how do I get him to a place where he feels better? Um, that it motivated me. And I was ended up doing the work without thinking through it. And we did a tough mutter. He ended up running a half marathon with me. And then he's now run three marathons with me. So wow, I got him from like a one mile run in jeans to, you know, a marathon runner. He's running multiple times a week. So I find a lot of value in just really helping and supporting the people around me. I do a lot of work with my kids. They crush me. Uh, so we do a lot of family workouts. We prioritize that a lot in our home uh, together as a family. But for me personally, um, I like to just go to the gym, get a quick CrossFit workout in, uh, and then I will you know, force myself to run a few times a week. Yeah. Now I'm the same boat with like running. I, I only do it if it's programmed in the workout and, and yeah, the, the, your dad's also a great Testament of like, you could do anything you put your mind to, like you may have not ran a mile in, you know, 20 years, but it doesn't mean that you can't train and still run a half marathon. Like it's not too late, right. Kind of coming back to that, you could pivot and change your life at any point and it's never too late. And that's, I'm so proud of your dad. That's super cool and awesome for him. And, um, yeah, same thing with like, um, you know, CrossFit, same thing. I found, found CrossFit like 2009. And I remember I was like, I was in Iraq when I found CrossFit and I was seeing some guys work out and I was doing the old bro stuff, working out in the gym. And I see these guys like doing box jumps and power cleans until they're like blue in the face. And they actually know they're laying on the ground and I walk over to them, which now I know, like when you see people laying on the ground, you don't talk to them right after a CrossFit workout. And I see them laying there and I'm like, guys, what was that? That was like, insane. I come over here, just bench pressing, watching you guys like try to kill yourself. They're like, Oh, CrossFit, go to CrossFit.com. Check it out. So I went to my room that night on base and searched CrossFit. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this workout. I started doing it. Yeah. And just like I said, I fell in love with the, the idea that you could get so much more work done in a shorter period of time. Like I was yeah. still getting fitter in 15 minutes than I was going to the gym, spending two hours and like wasting my day. And so, yeah, there's so much more to just like 
getting in. And that's why we like people at Orange Shoe, like we always say, is like, you know, our personal training sessions are 30 minutes. And we have a lot of clients that'll come in and be like, I don't know, is 30 minutes enough? Like, am I going to be able to achieve enough fitness in 30 minutes for me to get the result that I want? And I'm like, absolutely. Like give oh, us one sure. session. And, and because you're working with a trainer now, that's going to dedicate, you know, make this workout fit in that time frame. And most people will go to a gym and spend two hours and do more, you know, pictures and IG and all that stuff than they actually do training. And so people come in for that first session and then 15 or 20 minutes into the workout, they're like, Oh yeah, I don't even need 30 minutes, Tom. Like I'm good at 20. And I'm like, exactly. And so it's, that's how you could also free up your time as you know, someone who's busy is realizing that workout doesn't need working out doesn't need to be this hour long commitment in your day. It just needs to be a consistent commitment in your week, in your months, in your years, but 15, 20 minutes and you could be good to go. And what does working out look for you? So like in your, you know, in a perfect day, right. You're going to be able to head up to the cross the gym. You're going to be able to like drop the kids off at BJJ. You're going to be able to like plan your day perfectly, but what, you know, we all have this happen, right? When the wheels fall off, everything goes to shit. You're like, oh my God, I can't make my like perfect 9am workout at the CrossFit gym. They're doing a workout. I really like, what does Jamie do when she's forced to pivot in that motion where like, I can't go to the gym, but do you live the life of like, something is better than nothing. And do you just like hit it at home? Like, what does that look like when everything falls apart? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, perfect day for me is I get up and I go to the 5.30 AM class and I get it done before my day even starts, before my kids are even awake and it's out of the day and I don't even have to think about it. Um, that that's always my goal. Now, granted when my kids are at jujitsu, that's awesome because I can go get a workout easily on the two nights that they have class. And so that's, you know, I build that into the schedule. Um, I also train jujitsu. So I love, you know, taking time to go do that, but you can do that in addition to a workout. So I always feel like something is better than nothing. I have a gym here at my house. I'm lucky because I have all the equipment I need to do a legitimate workout here at the home. Um, and on days that I just literally feel like, I have no time, but I need to do something. You know, I always go for like the quick 15 minute AMRAP or the quick Tabata, or if I'm feeling really unmotivated, I'll convince my kids. Cause that again, it's like, if they're doing something, I'm more motivated to want to push myself. So I'll let one of them come up with a workout and we'll go do it. And they might hum and haw initially, but then when we get out there to the gym, uh, I'll just get them to work out with me. And it'll be that, that motivation that I need to go do a quick workout. So I love a quick AMRAP on days that I don't have a lot of time. Uh, Tabata is super easy as well. And you don't need any equipment. So if I'm, if I'm traveling or on site, uh, you know, going to a client event, I can do something in my hotel room just with a mm -hmm. quick Tabata time clock and do 15 to 20 minutes and get something. But I agree. It's something's better than nothing. And in, in my best days, uh, I'm doing two workouts. I'm getting, you know, a, a morning workout plus jujitsu in the afternoon. And those are like the best days when I can get both mm -hmm. in. Those are rare yeah. nowadays, but <laughs> when they happen, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Like I, I love living that. It's where I really try to preach to our clients is yeah, you can't make it to the gym, but you could do five minutes of burpees in your living room. You know, it, it's not the yeah. ideal thing, but you did something and that's it. Or going for a walk, getting 8,000 steps in that day or 10,000 steps. Like it's just knowing that you you're setting the precedent of mastering the art of showing up and getting the idea of just like consistency is key, you know, and it, it, it's not what you do in any yeah. given day. It's what you do. And you stack those days on top of each other for two, three, four years. That's where the results lie. And that's, that's, that's huge. Um, now let's go ahead and talk about, so I'm sure you got a lot of things coming at you from a lot of different directions, right? Yeah. You know, kids that want your attention, your husband obviously wants your attention. Echelon front wants your attention. 
how do you filter whether to say yes or no? And I know a lot of people come to sometimes struggle with this, where we, we tend to say yes to things that in the back of our head, we really want to say no to, but we just do it out of like obligatory, like we feel like we need to. And I love this quote by Brene Brown. Um, she says, it's either a fuck yes or it's a fuck no. So like, if it's not, if someone asks you something and it's not like in the first thing in your mind is not fuck. Yeah. Like that's what I want to do. Then it's a fuck no. And I'm just going to move on. So how does Jamie balance like all the things coming at her and figuring out what to say yes to like Tom orange shoe podcast out of the blue from Madison, Wisconsin to a no being like, this is not worth my time. For me, it's always about the mission. It's always about are the things that I'm doing contributing to me accomplishing the mission. I have a mission here with my family. I have a mission on front. I'm, I'm very clear on what those two missions are. I And everything I do should be contributing to those missions. And that means that sometimes, even for myself, I have to set aside things that I enjoy. I can't go train jujitsu today because my son has a baseball game and I want to prioritize and make sure that he sees me in the stand. That's, that's the, that's the, the, the thing I'm going to do that contributes to that mission. So for me, it's just, if you're really clear on what your mission is, it's very easy to determine the things that you are and are not willing to do. Um, I think a great example is I have three kids in school. And so the, the amount of requests they get for various opportunities to come in and volunteer or do things within the school, school is weekly. There's always opportunities. And I struggle because it's hard for me to take time away from work and the mission here at Echelon Front to go do some of those things. And it's not like going into your kid's classroom. It's like helping, you know, you know, file paperwork or make copies. And those things are awesome. And I wish I could contribute more to that. But I just kind of made a hard line. I'm like, I can't do those things. But what I can do is I can sign up to bring water bottles to the, the after-school picnic. I can, you know, pay for the, the gift basket that they're going to send in the auction. There's a lot of other things that I can do to contribute that are allow me to do those quickly. Um, that doesn't take a lot of my time. So I prioritize my family. I prioritize Echelon Front, which means that I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not going on girls nights once a week. I, I, you know, I'm not going on trips by myself. I'm not, there's not a lot of things outside of those two things that I spend my time on, uh, but that's okay because I understand what the mission is and I'm only focused on the mission in those two worlds. And so everything I do really needs to contribute to those. And so I love that idea of like, it's either a yes or a no, if it's going to contribute to that mission and it's going to, you know, contribute to what I'm trying to accomplish here. Yes. And if it doesn't, then it's an easy for me to say, Hey, I can't prioritize that right now. Um, and, and that's okay. And, and I've, I have learned over time that uh, I need to be, I need to be the advocate for, for those answers and making sure that I'm only taking on things that contribute to the mission of my family and my job here. Yeah. And I think that's, that's huge because you're super clear. You're an individual who's very, very clear. Like you said, on your mission, you have, you know, echelon front, your family, those are your two things that, that, that those are the top of the top of the food chart, right? Like that's those are the most important to you. And now if it doesn't align with those two things, it's probably a no. And I think that might be very beneficial for a lot of people listening is, you know, really sitting down and, and taking some time and writing down those things that like, are like, what is your mission, right? Like, what are the things that are the most important to you? And that might help you get very, very clear on whether you say yes or no, because we've all been there. We've all been there where you say yes to something. And then as soon as that day shows up on the calendar, you're like, oh my God, why did I say yes to this? Like, I don't want to go to like aunt Susie's party. I, I haven't seen her in 10 years. Like, Oh my goodness. Like, let's just go there, get it done. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's like, I love the Brene Brown thing, but also just getting clear if whatever you're about to say yes to or no to, if it doesn't align or isn't going to um, align with yeah, your mission, 
then yeah, just be able to say no and be okay. And I think, I think it is Brene Brown that says this too, that like, no is a full sentence. Yeah. No, like (laughs) you don't. Yeah. No period. Like I feel like a lot of times and I fall into this all the time when you say no, but then after you type the word, no, if it's an email or a text, you then feel like you need to justify the no as into like, no, sorry, can't make it today. You know, I got a crazy morning tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And you're telling them all this information that they actually don't need to know. the, The text should literally just say no. And they should be okay with that. And you should be okay with that. And no is a full sentence. (laughs) I do think that there is value just as, as a caveat to that. I think there is value in communicating with people. So Mm -hmm. I try to say things like, Hey, I'm sorry. I can't prioritize that right now. Or, Hey, at this time I'm at capacity with things I have going on. So I'm not going to be able to support in that way. Is there Mm -hmm. another way that I can support on this? So Mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, in some cases it's a straight, no, that's your answer. That's the end of sentence. No caveat. And then in other times, and certainly, you know, with my kids, for example, if I'm having to say no to them or with people that I care about, you know, I I try to always give the reason and I try to change the like straight no, which can sometimes, sometimes come across as like, I'm just not going to help you Mm -hmm. as, Hey, I can't prioritize this because I'm at capacity, but how else can, you know, are there other ways I can support? And I think that there's value in doing that and people appreciate we're all busy. They know that we all have a lot of things going on. People appreciate when you're, you know, you're at capacity and you're kind of, I wouldn't even say overwhelmed, but you're just kind of saying, Hey, I've hit the threshold for what I can accomplish this week. And so I've got to, unfortunately, you know, prioritize and execute on these tasks. And so I think communicating that there is value in doing that. And then other times you're right, just straight up. Nope. Can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Like, I think yeah, the people that you really like the relationships. You know, sometimes it's like relationship. Like if this someone who's like someone who really means a lot to you, and you're you're just not writing them off and saying no, like that. I I yeah, I get what you're saying. Where that could come off very kind of harsh in a way. Um. So yeah, explaining yourself and just letting them know that yeah, how can I support? I love what you said. How can I support in another way? I I can't support in this in this manner, but what can I do to help out in another way? And I think that's a that's a really good pivot there. Um. So let's go into a little bit of um, what have you, so obviously you're, you are, from, from my perspective, looking on the outside, looking at the team of Echelon Front, it seems it's like it's a male dominated job, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of women that, you know, work their ways up in organizations tend to find themselves surrounded by a lot of men, right? That's just America. And, and you um, are doing awesome things at Echelon Front. And there's a lot of clients at Orange Shoe that are women that are holding these awesome positions, high leadership positions. And they're also find themselves surrounded by men, right? And how have you kind of fit into that mold and kind of steadfast as a woman in a male dominated industry? Listen, I, I came on board at Echelon Front before the book. And so I had the opportunity to read the manuscript before the book was released. And to learn about the principles we talk about, the principles of cover and move, which is really teamwork and building relationships, simple, communicating in a clear, effective manner, prioritizing and executing, figuring out what's the one thing that's going to have the biggest impact on your you know, overall goal or mission and, and doing those things. And then um, decentralized command, which is really empowering your subordinate leaders to lead. And luckily, I had a chance to not only read these principles, to start to utilize them in my own life. And within my role here at Echelon Front, but I also had incredible examples on my team 
of what this looks like. And so I've had the opportunity to work with Leif and Jocko and the other instructors as we onboarded more people and brought and built out our team. We certainly have a lot of incredible women at Echelon Front who, you know, really hold up the back end of our business that, you know, the, the core of our operations team are all women. They're badass women. They're implementing these principles at home with their families. They're implementing these principles here at Echelon Front. But I was lucky because I got to learn these principles early and I got to see the value in how I implemented these with my kids. And then I got to see the value in how I implemented these as I worked with Leif and Jocko. And, and certainly as I started to build out my team here at Echelon Front. And so, you know, I, I would call Jocko with something and he would say, well, I don't know. What do you think? And he would put it back on me. I would call Leif with something and he'd say, hey, I trust you to make this decision. You know, I, I'm here to support. When I made mistakes, they took ownership of it. And I got to see that firsthand and say, well, wait a minute. No, this is mine. And all of a sudden I got to see the power in what we teach. And I think what's incredible about this is for women who feel like they can't, you know, maybe get ahead in their career or make headway because they're the only woman in the, in the boardroom and they feel maybe like their voice isn't being heard or these things. These principles are really the solution to that. Taking ownership, communicating effectively, figuring out the best way to communicate with your team. I talked to Jocko, I joke that, you know, I talk to Jocko every day, but it's in bullet points. And because I have figured out that I can call him and like only take a minute of his time, he answers my phone every single time I call him. He picks up the phone and and because he knows I'm not going to waste his time and that I'm going to come to him with solutions, not just problems. And so that has helped our relationship because now he puts a lot of trust in me and he allows me so much room to go and operate, which is incredible. And then different, you know, I figured out that Leif is a little different. He needs a little more information. So when I go to Leif with a question, it's not necessarily bullet points. I give a little more time. I've maybe preempted an email with some information that might assist in, in making a decision. And so really what we can do as leaders, whether you're male, you know, or whether you're a man or a woman is to really focus on how can I build good relationships? How can I lead up and down the chain of command effectively? How can I take ownership when things go wrong? And when you start to do those things, it doesn't matter what level of leader you are, you start to see the impact in, in how you can communicate and how you can get things done. So really what's made me successful here is the principles that we teach and, and just working to implement them at every level. Wow. I love that. I love that answer, JB. That's spot on. And I think so many people uh, that listen to this are going to be able to take away a lot just from that sim simple answer right there. And so it's like a perfect segue, right? So um, my last question, we're going to finish off today is kind of diving a little bit more into echelon front, um, more into the leadership and kind of letting the listeners know a little bit more about this. And, and what the one question I sent you at the end was like, you know, you know, who can benefit from these musters, right? And for people that are listening, I'll kind of cover this in the intro a little bit. But you know, these musters are kind of leadership um, conferences where people get together and it's all about different speakers talking about leadership and um, kind of helping people kind of you know find you know put put these principles to use and and how to live these things daily. Um, but also the book Extreme Ownership. And from the outside looking in a lot of women that haven't grown up in the military background and stuff, we're going to look at the cover of this book and it's got the trident on it. It's got extreme ownership, Jocko Willink, you know, Navy SEAL. And there may not, they may not be attracted to reading that book. They're like, it doesn't resonate with me whatsoever. I'm not going to learn anything from this guy. Um, or these musters, right? These musters, if you see the promotional videos online are very kind of intimidating, right? You're out in the parking lot, working out in the morning, you're doing BJJ, you got Jocko Willink with his, like, you know, his, just his demeanor on, on stage. And people are like, you know, Tom, that's just not for me. What do you say to those people that 
you know, see this and then kind of step away? Do you tell them to like jump in and like read this book? Anyone can take out, you know, anyone could get benefit from this. Yeah, you know, we struggle with this. This is a big topic of conversation at Echelon Front because, you know, yeah, we have a we have a responsibility as an organization to make money and to grow our business. But the true mission of Echelon Front, and I mean this, this is not a sales pitch. This is everyone on our team knows our mission at Echelon Front is to help as many people as possible learn about these principles, apply them in their lives, and see the impact not only in their own lives, but in the people and the lives around them. So you know, that's our goal. And we, we come across this where people approach this, this content and they're like, ah, it's too militaristic. It's too combat focused. This is combat leadership. This doesn't apply to me. And if, if you're hesitant about the military component, that's fine. Read the book. Don't read the first chapter or, you know, each chapter has three sections. It has the combat story, where these principles came from. It has the principle, and then it has an application of business where we use a case study example of a leader or team that we've worked with. And so for people that are really you know, negative towards the military stuff, don't read the first section, read the principle and the combat, the, the application of business. You can still find a lot of value in that. I would recommend reading the whole thing because I think you'd find that this book is actually written in a really humble manner. I think a lot of people approach it thinking, oh, two Navy SEALs, this is like a bang on your chest, we're Navy SEALs, look how cool we are. And actually what the book is, is all the mistakes they made. The, the critical mistakes that they made and the lessons that they learned from that. And in my opinion, if these work in combat, these can work in anywhere. The most chaotic environment in the world and these principles can be successful, then they can absolutely help me in managing my three children and, 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 and exhibiting to them this idea of ownership. The other thing we talk about is if the language is doesn't sit right with you, you know, terms like cover and move, that's a gunfighting tactic. But you know what cover and move is? It's teamwork. It's building relationships. It's breaking down silos so that various components of the organization can work together to accomplish the mission. That's just good leadership. We use the term default aggressive. And for some people, they approach that and say, oh, that's, that's being aggressive. And really what that is, it's not being aggressive towards people. It's being aggressive towards solving problems, making things happen, seizing initiatives. And if you don't like that terminology, change it bias for action, solving problems. You can change the vernacular, but the components of what we teach are critical. And the biggest thing that we teach, the, the two main things that I think a lot of people are surprised by, they come to a muster. And really what we're talking about in almost every single session is checking your ego and building relationships. And people are surprised when they hear these seasoned combat veterans who are focused on checking your ego, humility, and building relationships. So I think if you're hesitant at all, do yourself a favor, just read the book, just read it. And, and I promise that there's gonna be components in there that you're gonna be able to pull out that apply to what to any capacity. You know, We talk about leadership as any human being who interacts with other, other human beings. It doesn't matter if you're the high level CEO of an organization, all the way down to the frontline employee of an organization just managing yourselves, or if you're at home as a mother or father to your kids, these principles are applicable in every aspect. So, you know, we have to, we have to do a better job at ensuring people understand that this content is in fact for them. And if that means that we need to scale back on the combat components, we do that. Now, the muster is a great example. You know, only about 15% of our attendees are women, and we're doing our best to change that because we see the value in this event. This is like no other business conference out there. And this is not a sales pitch at all. This is truly, we are lucky because the attendees that show up 
create this incredible environment. They're eyes up, they're focused, they're engaged the entire time. We get people that have to go, you know, use the restroom and they're running to go to the restroom just so they can run back and get in their seat. And they create that hype. It's people that just want to become better leaders. We had a 15 year old who came to our last muster, who's an entrepreneur and building a little business, wow. wanted to come and learn about these principles to help him at 15. You know, we have leaders in every capacity in every industry you can think of, every size of the company you can think of coming to these events. And the takeaway is that, hey, we can be better leaders. It starts with taking ownership it, and then building really good, positive relationships and ultimately learning how to subordinate our ego so that we can make things happen and solve problems. So, um, you know, it's something we have to combat. We have to help people un- overcome that hurdle. But I, I am lucky because I have been in this position at Echelon Front for so long, and I'm oftentimes the first point of contact from the individuals and teams and organizations who are doing this and seeing the success and the impact in, in applying these principles. And so I've seen it not only myself with my own family and my own team here at Echelon Front, but I get to see it with all these people we work with. The impact is inevitable if you apply them properly. So. Mm-hmm doesn't matter military or not. These principles are for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think you, uh, you alone, like being a part of Echelon Front and you're, you're not like you're not military. Yeah. You're surrounded by your husband was, and you're surrounded by it, but you individually weren't. And so you learn this just like anybody else is going to learn these tactics through reading the book and then, then putting them to action. So, and then being a female at that is like now, I mean, you're the perfect person to be out in front of the organization speaking to these women, because you are that person who uh, didn't learn it through the military, but you applied it, you read it. And now, and you're a perfect example of implementation of all these, these principles. And that is so huge. And like, you know, that's one of the, my, you know, from my military service, that's the biggest takeaway. Like the thing that like, on top of like the tuition reimbursement and all that stuff was the mental side of it. Like the things I've learned just through adversity and things like that, like, People are, uh, for me, one of the biggest things I get from like my wife is like, you're always like nothing shakes you. You're always so calm. Like, you know, the business is going to get shut down for coronavirus and you're just like, all right, like whatever, like we got to pivot. We got to figure out what to do. Like, it just is what it is. And that's one of the things I think I just learned from the military that like I, my, I'm a very emotionally stable person. I don't, my, I'm not a very up and down roller coaster person because I just kind of like even keel. And I think that's just the military has um, been a huge factor for that. And that's why I think that these musters and uh, for people reading extreme ownership and stuff, I think people can get so much out of that and to implement that into, like you said, any sort of realm of whether you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, or whether you're working, like you said, the, the high, you know, if you're big leadership or you're the frontline worker, like these, these principles, you can attach to your life and start implementing. And it's, it's huge. And so, yeah, I would love to, um, like I said, myself show up to one of these musters and then also get um, as many people as I can rally to come along because it just, it looks like a great time. So, well, Jamie, I don't want to take up any more of your time today. I know you're a very busy woman and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today and just sharing your knowledge. Um, it's, I think so many people are going to get so much from this episode. Um, and I'm just excited to get this, like get this published in and out there to, you know, our, our clients, but hopefully out to the world, because I think, um, everyone hearing your story and what you guys are doing at Echelon Front, um, can really just, um, benefit everyone. I really appreciate it. I always love talking about leadership. I always love talking about extreme ownership. It's my favorite topic. It's, it permeates every aspect of my life. And 
certainly the work you guys are doing and providing really convenient opportunities for people to get, you know, their workouts in is incredible too. So we love being able to support companies that are just helping people become the best versions of themselves. And that's what we try to do at Echelon Front. And certainly that's what you guys are trying to do within your business. So really appreciate the opportunity to connect and, and talk with you today. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like kind of, kind of talking on that. Like we know that as a fitness organization, fitness is more about your mindset than it is just showing up and doing the workout. It starts in the mind. Like if you do not make that mental transition of like, I'm ready to fully commit to this process and I'm doing this day to day, you're never going to succeed. And so we know that what you guys are doing with the mindset component and leadership, and it, that's just as important as, as doing thrusters and burpees. Like in, if not, it's more so because if you don't make the mental shift, you're never going to get those results. And so partnering with, with companies and, and, and sharing, um, people like you that could speak on this leadership and, and passing on the knowledge of this stuff is if not more beneficial than what we do today, uh, we do day to day in the gym. So, um, thank you so much, Jamie. And, um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. As always, thank you so much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate every listen that I get. With that being said, if you have any feedback or any questions you would like answered on future episodes, please use the link in the bio above to submit me a quick little voice message you could do right from your phone. I would love to hear from you. So thank you so much again for listening and have a great rest of your day.